0: You're listening to Preaching Source, a ministry of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary's School of Preaching. I'm your host, Professor Barry McCarty. Today on Preaching Source, we are happy to have a Southwestern alum, uh, Dr. Adam Hughes, who is professor of expository preaching and dean of the chapel at New Orleans uh, Baptist Theological Seminary, Welcome, Dr. Hughes. Glad to have you here on Preaching Source. Dr. McCarty, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. It's, it's great to be back on campus and be at my alma mater. All right. You wrote your doctoral dissertation on William Perkins. So, the first question talk to us a bit about the legacy of William Perkins in the history of preaching.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's really an interesting question, I, and I did write my dissertation on on uh, William Perkins. Uh, I, I was originally actually looking at doing my dissertation on uh, Savonarola, and uh, Dr. Stephen Smith and I were talking last night, and he kind of gave me a hard time about that, and the joke that I made was, well, the reason that I decided on William Perkins was because I didn't want to translate all the Latin and Italian from Roll before I actually wrote the dissertation, Uh, but that's only half true. Really, um, William Perkins' legacy in the history of preaching is one of the reasons why I was so interested in William Perkins. He was the first English speaker to write a textbook on preaching, the art of prophesying. Now, it wasn't originally written in English, it was written in, in Latin, but he was the first English speaker, uh, I believe, to do so. And so, just from that standpoint, if you just start there and you think about that from the history of preaching, that's significant. You can also look at some great and well known preachers throughout history, and some of them, by their own words, will say that they were influenced by him and his writing. And the art of prophesying became known, and to some degree is still known, as the Puritan Manual of Plain-Style Preaching. So therefore, anybody that would place themselves historically, and I'm talking about the 16th century and on, uh, certainly 17th century and on, that would be in the Puritan vein of preaching, would say that they were influenced Directly or indirectly by by William Perkins, uh, you have guys like Stephen Ames that was uh, mentioned as, as uh, being influenced. You you have later then um, even surprisingly, maybe not surprisingly, George Whitfield was somewhat influenced by by some of, of Perkins' thought, and then Jonathan Edwards. If you look at the taxonomy of preaching, uh, like David Larson's textbook on preaching, he kind of divides it, and it and it um, shortly after the Reformation divides and goes down two veins. One is the William Perkins vein, Puritan, and the other is what ultimately leads to like Broadus, um, the art of uh, preparation delivery of a sermon. Uh, So it looks like there's two different veins and William Perkins influenced one of them. So we know all the Puritans, the puritanical thinkers and preachers were influenced by him. But there's an interesting link to also Broadus, uh, a guy by the name of Jean-Claude. Denny Autry did his dissertation on Jean-Claude, and one of the conversations we had is there is actually a link uh, between William Perkins and what happens with Broadus, and that link is Jean-Claude. And so if you look at that, it could at least be argued that the legacy of William Perkins not only goes down one of the veins of the taxonomy of the history of preaching, but perhaps, at least indirectly, through Jean-Claude, goes down the other as well. and So if that's the case, my argument would be, I don't know if I can confirm this with you today, Dr. McCarty, but my argument would be that perhaps then in some shape, form, or fashion, William Perkins in his writing on preaching, his manual on preaching, has heavily influenced um, all preaching in some capacity that moved
0: forward post-Reformation. Mm. Uh, One of the things that I I delight in seeing in especially our our Southern Baptist seminaries, which are strong in preaching, is that there are a lot of jewels of the history of preaching in uh, people's PhD dissertations. And if you drill back into these ancient Uh, and some not so ancient, but uh, these writers of the past few centuries, there's a lot of wisdom there to be gained from uh, studies like yours on William Perkins. Absolutely. Uh, Dr. Hughes, you have recently written on the theology of preaching. What, uh, How would you describe the theological foundation for expository preaching? What Can you summarize that in a way that would give us a helpful idea of the theological underpinnings of expository preaching?
1: Absolutely. As a matter of fact, my dissertation, we just talked about William Perkins and his legacy in preaching, but really what I looked at, the dots I connected with him, was his theology or his philosophy of preaching. Uh, m- several things had been written or researched on the way he preached, but the dots had not been connected to why did he preach the way he preached. So that's really what I looked at. What, what I found, and, and I'll try to make this brief to get to the contemporary implication for this and therefore a good foundation of expository preaching today, but in the life of William Perkins, what I began to notice was there were several things that he said about his doctrine of revelation, things that he believed about the Bible. And then you looked at his four-part homiletic method, and there were some lines that looked too direct between his method and what he thought about the Bible, how he preached and how he understood Scripture, that looked too direct to be coincidental. And what I found was he, he had written another work that started as a lecture series called The Calling of the Ministry, Lesser Known Work Than the Art of Prophesying. And in that work, he said several things, but maybe the most germane for your question today was he said, basically, he, he referred to preachers as angels, meaning the Greek understanding of messenger. So we're angels, and as, as angels, as messengers, we can only say what the king has said in the way the king has already said it. Now, I'm paraphrasing, but that's essentially what he said. And so the idea is, was it by accident that what he thought about the Bible connected so directly to how he argued, then you must preach. But once you connect the dots with what he said in the calling of the ministry, that question seems to go away, and it seems to be, no, it wasn't accidental at all. He preached the way he preached because he believed he had no choice but to do otherwise because of what he believed about the Bible. Now, How does that connect for us to a theology of preaching or philosophy of preaching as as it relates to exposition? Obviously, I think it's clear, but let me just be explicit. I think the idea is it's what we believe about the Bible and what we say we believe about the Bible. Is it, if it is, in fact, God's Word, if it's God's Word from the content of what's given, but it's also God's Word from the context of the way it's assembled and given to us and the way it's been preserved for us, then it would seem to, to be hard to make an argument that we could preach any other way than exposition, and systematic exposition specifically, if we really believe that about God's Word. So I think the foundation for our theology of exposition today is not a whole lot different than William Perkins's. Now, whether he carried that out exactly the same way we would today or not, that's a whole other issue. But the idea is, if we really believe that that this Word, this Bible, is in fact God's Word, His inerrant, sufficient Word, how can we do anything other than approach it? in the way that we pre- uh, preach it and try to deliver it in a way that God has given it. Now, I, I, let me say one other thing, and I certainly don't want to make our interview go too long, uh, and I can get passionate about this, Dr. McCarty. You, you, you've struck a chord with me with this question. Uh, I, I would say that we can say a lot of things that we believe about the Bible, but I think the reverse of the question here is we can say a lot of things, but I think sometimes pastors don't understand, but how they get up and actually preach says more about what they really believe about the Bible than they realize. Whether or not we do exposition or not, whether we deliver the content of the Word in the context in which it was given, says a whole lot more about what we actually believe about the Word, if that makes sense. So again, the foundation for the philosophy or theology of expository preaching essentially is situated in
0: our genuine belief about God's Word. Wow. I, I want to make sure that our listeners got that line about the angels. Uh, give me to that one more time, that uh, so, yeah, William Perkins. William Perkins was using the title angel to talk about the
1: herald, just the general Greek understanding of the word that means messenger. And so as a herald, there's there's the king that sent the herald. and And if you're, you know, back in olden days, you're a herald, you're carrying the king's scroll. You go into a town and you're going to give this public proclamation. You unroll the scroll and you give it. That's the imagery behind the concept of angel that William Perkins was using. And so based on that, here's what he said. If we're going to be the angel, if we're going to be the messenger of the king, we have no right to say anything other than what the king has already said in the
0: way the king has said it. Wow, that is profound. Thank you. Uh, man, that was worth the price of the whole interview right there. <laughs> so, uh, Dr. Hughes, you've uh, uh, served not only as a professor of preaching, but you've also been a pastor in the field. I'm uh, familiar with your ministry at First Baptist Church of West Albuquerque, New Mexico, before you came on the New Orleans faculty. What, what advice would you give to a, a preacher just starting out as he begins his first few years of pastoral ministry?
1: Uh, it 's a great question. Uh, i don 't know how um, qualified I am to answer it, but I'll try to there's a couple things that come to mind, and one it 's interesting. One it has a theological foundation to it, and then one is a very practical one. Based on what we 've just said, uh, Dr. McCarty, I would, I would encourage a young guy that 's getting ready to start out pastoring his first church or in, in the first year or a few years of pastoral ministries. I would encourage him to make up his own mind um, before he ever begins on the field in his own study, in his own heart, in his own soul, what do you really believe about the Word of God? And I would say, um, not ungraciously, but come what may, come what may stand on the Word. Make the decision that you believe it is God's Word and stand on the Word, both in the way you preach and then in the way you lead that church. Come what may. Uh, Now, I believe long-term that that stance is going to yield Exponential fruit in your people and in in new people and seeing new converts. But even if doing that costs you personally, make up your mind ahead of time and stick with it. Um, The other thing I would say now, this is almost going to sound like a contradiction of what I just said, and I, I certainly don't mean it that way, but understand where your people have been in the history of the preaching of that church. You go into a church and maybe they've not had exposition, maybe they've not had systematic exposition before, they don't know what it is. Um, and they don't even know that they haven't had it. So I think there's some wisdom in going, I know what I believe in, I'm going to stand on the Word, but, but there may be some, some wisdom I need to have in easing my people into exposition and systematic exposition. Not, not that you don't do exposition, but maybe if they've never had book-by-book book exposition, maybe you don't come in and start out with the 28 chapters of the book of Acts. Maybe you don't start with the 16 chapters of the book of Romans. Maybe you start with a, with a book like James or 1 John to begin to ease them into and whet their appetite for what the long-term tenure of your ministry will be. So those are the two things that come to mind. Just, just set, set in your own mind and heart what you believe about the Word and come what may stick to it, but then also be wise and gracious to where your people are. As Dr. Patterson, I've heard him say before, teach your people how to read their Bible. And in doing that, teach your people how to listen to preaching because they may not know, and they may not know
0: that they don't know. Dr. Hughes, at at New Orleans Seminary, you're not only a professor of preaching and dean of the chapel, but you're also the director of the mentoring programs in pastoral ministries. Can you suggest to us some effective ways that veteran pastors can mentor younger preachers?
1: Yeah, I I think, I don't know how many multiple ways, that the main thing that comes to mind, and I think this relates to any somebody, that, anybody that would be mentoring someone else, and certainly as it relates to veteran pastors mentoring younger pastors. First of all, I would say this. Know that I, I believe we have a generation of younger pastors that deeply desire and want to be mentored. Know that, first of all. I, I think sometimes there can be a belief that the younger generation doesn't want to learn from the older generation or that they're not teachable, or they don't have those desires. I would tell you, even in my role at the seminary, I've found the exact opposite to be the case. Guys want to be invested in. A lot of guys that are even called to ministry, not only did they not have Christian fathers or or dads who were in the ministry, some of them didn't have fathers around at all that invested in them at all. So they're looking for those Pauls to invest in them. So first of all, just know that. The second thing I would say is you're going to have to be around them. You're going to have to spend time with them you're going to have to invite them into your life. You can't mentor someone if you're never around them and they're not ever seeing who you are. So uh, regardless of, if I can say it this way, what curriculum you choose to go through with them, um, and you know I can mean a lot of different things by that, going through different books of the Bible or dealing with different things as it relates to preaching or pastoral ministry, you can cover all of those things, but the main thing is you're going to have to spend time with them, and you're going to have to spend time with them in scenarios and situations where you're opening yourself up which means some vulnerability invite them into your home and let them see how you how you Shepherd your wife, how you are a husband to your wife. Let them see how you raise and discipline your children. I'm not saying that can be there every night, but they need to see that. And then invite them into your study. Let them see how you function in your study. Let them see how you pastor your church. Mistakes and successes, I I think the main thing is you're
0: going to have to be around them and let them be around you. Our guest on Preaching Source today has been Dr. Adam Hughes, professor of preaching at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. Dr. Hughes, thank you so much for being with us and our listeners on Preaching Source.
1: It was absolutely my honor and pleasure, and thank you so much for inviting me and hosting me in this way.